Morning, everybody. We are in the last chapter of John, John 21, last sermon here uh, today. If you want to grab a Bible and open to John chapter 21, you can follow along when I start to read through that passage. Um, but before we get there, while you're grabbing a Bible, I can make some announcements. Uh, you know, I just want to remind you, if you've been giving through Simple Give, to go on the website on the giving page and follow the directions to, to transfer that giving over to the Breeze portal. We're going to eventually uh, phase out Simple Give and we need to get everybody on the, on the Breeze and we, we'd appreciate that. So also directions on there to give through Venmo or to send a check to the church if you need to or to text to give. That's a new option that we have. Uh, remember parents, moms and dads and kids that the third banner on the top of the website, just click on that. Uh, Wednesday, every Wednesday that's updated and then that's got all your stuff for your kids for Sundays. Um, Kim's putting together the virtual VBC and all that will go out soon. Um, again, if you need a spiritual mentor, uh, email spiritualmentors at 68.org, somebody that can just help you walk through uh, your spiritual life, give you some tools, uh, help you hear the spirits uh, leading in your life, that kind of thing. Uh, email spiritualmentors at 68.org and Rob will get you connected with somebody. And I want to remind you that we're still raising money for the Middle East Kids Camp. Uh, we haven't sent that, that check off yet, and uh, we want to raise money all the way up until that moment. So there's a, an option on the giving page on the website to, do, to give towards that as well. And finally, I'll just say that, no, we do not have a final date yet for uh, the regathering plan. Uh, we will, uh, you know, hopefully soon, but we're waiting on equipment because we know that many people are not going to be comfortable regathering yet. So... Uh, crowd may be small at the physical location uh, there in Bryn Mawr, and uh, we need to make accommodation for those that cannot make it. So we're going to continue live streaming, and and honestly, live streaming has afforded us an opportunity to reach people that we we would never have reached before. So we want to continue that into the future. So we're waiting on that equipment to be sent. Problem is. Because of COVID, all that equipment is on back order in so many places. Uh, we should get it, you know, soon though. And we're trying to figure out a, a temporary solution. Uh, so it may be as soon as mid-July or third week or fourth week in July. We're not sure. Anyway, but be praying for us because we need uh, your leadership is uh, really struggling to make this stuff work well for everybody. Uh, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for these intimate portraits of who you are to the world in the book of John. We've enjoyed this ride. We want to go on to the next series and be excited about that. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would uh, just lead us to understand what you're trying to say us. Say to us, wrap up this series well for us today as we think through this passage. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Anyway, turn to, with me to John chapter 21. We're going to start in verse 1. <clears throat> Clear my throat. Um, it says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, uh, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, right? And two other disciples were there together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out, and they got into the boat, but they, but that night they didn't catch, they, they, they caught nothing, it says. Anyway, uh, stay in that, keep your Bibles open, because we're going to march through this piece by piece, uh, 
uh, over over this whole sermon. But this last chapter of John, I want to point out, is is very ordinary. It's very it's almost anticlimactic. It's it's extremely intimate, and it's almost awkward at times, right? John brings us back down to earth as the disciples return to Galilee. They're on this beach. It's after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, you know, and they're kind of asking themselves, what what now? You know, they had seen Jesus twice already since the resurrection, and now they're just hanging around. And a bunch of guys, after all this excitement, not knowing what to do, wondering what the heck all this means. And when guys don't know what to do, they usually find some mindless activity to occupy their brains. And, uh, you know, maybe you garden, maybe you tinker in the garage, play computer games, watch Netflix, or maybe you fish like Peter does, right? But that's what Peter says. I'm going fishing, right? Like he's the guy with the Ford F-150 with that, that bumper sticker in the back window. I'd rather be fishing. And the other guys say, yeah, sounds good. I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with you. But they don't catch a thing, right? Verse four, it says, says early in the morning Jesus stood on the shore but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus and he called out to them friends haven't you any fish uh, no they answered right so Jesus comes along they're about a hundred yards out you know maybe the sun is shining it's hard to see who's there and all this kind of stuff and they, they can't tell it's him catch anything no 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 nothing's biting very very ordinary that's exactly what guys ask whenever you're walking down the, the bank of a river and you see a fisherman catch anything nah it doesn't bite today you know like that kind of thing um, it's just so down to earth it's fun uh, verse 6 he said, throw your net out on the right side of the boat. Now, listen to this. Where have you heard this before? Throw your net, your net out on the right side of the boat and you will find some, he says. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord, right? He recognizes this moment. And we're going to get to that in a minute. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Peter, I love Peter, just jumps head head first right in, right? Uh, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net of full of fish, for they were they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals uh, there with a fish on it and some bread. So then Jesus tells them, you know, at, in, in this little passage. You know, to do something very reminiscent of an earlier time, throw your nets out on the right and you'll get something, right? And they did, they did, and they got a lot of fish. Well, this happened before in the very beginning of their time together, right? You remember that? Jesus was in a boat with Peter and told him to throw the nets out. And at that time, the catch was also large, so much so that other boats had to be brought in and they were sinking under the weight of all the fish, right? And at that moment, if you remember, Peter said, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, right? And if you remember, Jesus says at that moment, he said, now you will be fishers of men. So, you know, Maybe Jesus has a sense of humor here at some level, right? Almost recreating the scene to let them know that it's him. It's interesting. This huge catch bookends his time with them. Reminiscent of his last command, which is our first concern, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, to go and make disciples of all nations, right? To be the fishers of men for the sake of uh, of Christ. Jesus is trying to communicate 
his ultimate purpose for them as he is about to leave them. He's reminding them that I came here to open up the way for a relationship with you. I came here to make you fishers and men. That you're to do what I'm, I'm doing in the world. And John says to Peter, it's, it's the Lord, right? And, and if Thomas is a natural skeptic, Peter is naturally impulsive. And you know, I love Peter. He's the one who got out of the boat in Matthew 14 trying to walk on water, which he did until he sank, right? Until it dawned on him what he was actually doing. He's the, he's the one who ran past John into the tomb, making himself ceremonially unclean, but he was doing it without thinking. He's the one in the Garden of Gethsemane who drew his sword, cutting off that guy's ear. Earlier, he had said to Jesus, though they fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And then he said a few verses later, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. He said like all this bravado, right? And here he jumps right out of the boat and swims to Jesus, leaving the other guys there to haul in the load. And he can't contain his excitement. He's like a little kid bursting through the door, running to dad down the sidewalk after work, right? This excitement and impulsivity is endearing. It's almost respectable, uh, but it's not always helpful, right? Peter was a leader and a spokesman for the 12 disciples. He often posed questions to Jesus representing the concerns of the other disciples. His name is first in the list of the names of the disciples and the inner circle. Uh, Peter sometimes had very little faith, it seems like, and he was sometimes presumptuous, sometimes timid, self-seeking, self-sacrificing, spiritually perceptive sometimes, you know, slow on the uptake sometimes. Uh, you know, he walked on that water with Jesus, but his faith waned, and then he sank. And he, and, he, and he says things like, you're the Messiah. He makes these great claims. And then he turns around and says, I, I don't know that guy, right? I mean, don't you feel like Peter sometimes? I do. Back and forth, excited, and then sheepish because your excitement got you into trouble. Full of faith in one minute and full of doubt the next minute. <clears throat> Peter's an ordinary guy, a man's man. He gives me hope. I, cause I bumble through life as Peter did. And at times I'm, I'm, I'm on my game and in others I have to pull my foot right out of my mouth. I'm just like a bonehead, right? That's Peter. Impetuous, strong, excitable, wavering, the rock, which is what the word, or the name Peter or, or Cephas meant. The rock. And that's a name that Jesus, I think, will make Peter grow into well. He'll make sure he grows into that. Verse 10. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. And it was full of very large fish, 153. But even with so many, so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. So here they are on the beach and Peter drags in the fish and Jesus had made breakfast and there's a fire and you know, getting them all comfortable, a little, little mancation, a little camping trip with the boys, so to speak. And, and as they eat and talk, I, I would imagine that Peter's thinking to himself, this is the third time that I've, I've seen Jesus. Maybe he's not going to bring up the denials, right? You remember Peter denied Jesus three times. Well, no such luck. Verse 15, it says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, now listen to this name that he calls him. Simon, son of John, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these, than all these other guys, right? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. 
Jesus said, feed my, my lambs. Shoot, I thought we were going to avoid this, Peter's thinking, right? Remember, it was Jesus who had given him the name Peter at their first meeting. You are Simon, son of John. You shall call, be called Cephas, which means Peter, which means the rock, right? That's back in John chapter 1. Yet, Jesus uses his former name now, Simon, son of John, right? Maybe that's because Peter hadn't been showing himself to be the rock lately, right? Maybe, maybe Jesus wants Peter to recall a time before he had known Jesus, when he was still just Simon, son of John. Peter, you know, like a time when he really was lost in life. You know, Peter had denied Jesus, but maybe this was Jesus' way of saying, well, is that how you want it? Do you want to go backwards? What's it going to be? Excuse me. Simon, son of John, or Peter the Rock? Honestly, Peter, do you really want to live life without me again? Right? And so get to verse 16. It says, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Twice, that's got to hurt, right? But here it comes, third time, verse 17. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And it is interesting. Jesus does know all things. He does know Peter's heart. He knows the answers to these questions before he's even asked them. But three times, and then it dawns, maybe on Peter, but definitely on us, that Jesus has asked this question three times by a fire because Peter had denied Jesus three times by a fire. And one of Peter's first experiences with Jesus was catching a a boatload of fish, as he does also in this story. The first time Jesus says, you will be fishers of men, and now he's urging Peter to feed his sheep. So the parallels parallels of those two stories are very, very clear. This was calculated. Jesus knew what he was doing. Peter had to face the denial issue to be restored and restoration hurts. And not to be restored just to be restored, but be restored for a purpose, to be a fisher of men. For as many times as he denied Jesus, Peter had to be confronted in order to get him to fully understand and move forward in his relationship with Jesus and therefore in his purpose of being a kingdom-minded person, bringing others into Jesus, netting people into Christ, into life with Christ. You know, Jesus was going away. He was leaving this man, Peter, the rock, right, to continue his ministry to others. But Peter hadn't shown himself reflective of his new moniker at all yet. Peter had to realize that to love Jesus means to love others. To love Jesus means to continue this kingdom of God work, to stand with Jesus in self-sacrifice, to match words of love, great lofty words of love and devotion, with actual sacrificial action. You know, halfway through my life, my time in Indonesia, my parents came to visit us. And uh, it was a stressful time of life. There was culture shock, you know, and all kinds of things. And I, was, I wasn't held, handling it all well. And, you know, I took it out on Kim. I would snap at her. I was grumpy. I was whiny, you know. And my parents came for about two weeks. And at the end of the trip, my dad did what Jesus did uh, here to Peter. 
Jesus made Peter uncomfortable by a fire, but he fed him and he, or, or I'm sorry, he made him comfortable by a fire and then he, you know, he fed him, he prepared him for the conversation. My father took me to a nice hotel in Jakarta and he fed me and he gave me some rest and he loosened me up and, but I know my father, my father knows me, right? And this was a calculated planned conversation and I, I knew, I knew it was coming. You know, he was buttering me up. He was, he had that uncanny ability to see right through my crap, and I knew I was going to have to face myself in this conversation that I was going to have with him. And I'll never forget, you know, before that conversation, I walked out of the, to the pool area, and I saw my wife talking with my father across the patio. But as I came closer, Kim got up and walked the opposite way. And uh, I assume my dad had told her to take a walk so he could have a heart-to-heart with me. And so... Um, my father turned to me and he gently said with a smile, he said, son, come over here, let's talk. <laughs> and my surroundings kind of, you know, like didn't matter anymore. My focus was going inward and I knew it. My father was going to make me face myself. Um, it was going to be awkward and I didn't like it, but I needed it. And if my relationship with my wife is to be restored, I needed to listen to my father. Right. And so we walked and he talked and he asked me questions and he asked me the same questions over and over in different ways. And I knew it. I got the message. Right. And it, it was this son. I need to look at I need you to look at what you've done and I need you to turn your gaze inward and, and look at the hurt you caused your wife. You know, I, I did grow a bit perturbed as he methodically pressed me, but I had I had to man up. And I couldn't fight the constant questioning since I had constantly tortured my wife. And I wasn't proud of that. I was actually very, <coughs> excuse me, repentant at that moment. And I'll never forget that conversation. It, it hurt, but I'm grateful that my father loved me enough to have it. You know, I cherish that painful encounter when I slip back into my grumpy moments, I, I remember it. And that memory helps me to recall how cherished these relationships around me are, that it matters what I say and what I do, that words of love have to be backed up with loving action, right? Or they just don't mean much. You know, Peter's getting a talking to from his father and it hurts. And Jesus wasn't being cruel. Rather, he cut like a surgeon in order to heal and restore, Right. The message from my father was this. Will, will you sacrifice for, for your wife? Will you die to yourself for her? Will you give up your pride for her? Because only in sacrifice and dying to self can you have a full relationship with her. And the message was the same for Peter. Because Jesus now lays out his future for him. He says in verse 18, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger you dressed yourself and, when, and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. So Jesus was telling Peter that you need to be restored to me. You need to say three, three times that you love me, not for me, but for yourself. Right? Because in following me must lead you to sacrifice for me, right? And, and, and sacrifice for others. And you'll finally face that ultimate sacrifice, Peter, that death for this kingdom ministry, that you need to be convinced now that this is worth it, that I am worth it. You know, 1 John 4, 17 says, as he is in the world, so are we. 
as he is in the world, so are we. Jesus is the suffering, suffering servant. We are the suffering servant. It's almost easier to face a literal cross than it is to sacrifice for others over and over, to feed the sheep when it hurts. Yet even though Peter seems to be fairly repentant here, he does what we all do when someone gets too close to our heart. He tries to turn the focus on the other guy, as we see in uh, verses 20 and 21. He said, Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. And this was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? (laughs) What about him? Right? Peter sees John walking behind him and he says, well, you know, what about him? It's like deflection, right? You know, Peter feels the finger of God pressing against his heart and he wants it off him. You know, wants to focus off himself. Well, what about John? What about the other guy, Jesus? Are you going to ask him the, the same from him? Why do I have to be pressed so hard? Don't they have to do the same thing? Well, we're not talking about John right now. We're talking about you, Peter, right? Have you ever been in a real heart-wrenching conflict with someone, one which really hurts since due to that conflict, you're, you're forced to see an ugly flaw in yourself? In those instances, self-preservation takes over, and you'll do anything to get the finger pointed at the other guy, right? You know, my brother who left cor- the corporate world to be a pastor in Florida said to me one day, church politics are worse than corporate politics. Well, I would say as they should be, right? As they should be. Because in the corporate world, we just fire and hire people. We move people around when we get we, we don't get along with them or whatever. The heart doesn't matter to the economics uh, of business ruled by the laws of corporate policy. They just don't matter. But church is governed by grace, hard, toothy grace, which stabs at tender places in the context of our faith family, right? Our first inclination shouldn't be just to hire and fire and, you know, move people around but to work it out. Rather, you know, we must realize that God often puts a person in our path who brings out the worst in us so he can deal with that thing which stands in the way of our relationship with him. That's iron iron sharpening iron, right? It's much less about the person you're in conflict, conflict with and much more about your heart before Jesus. Are you willing to be hurt by Jesus, to be cut deeply in order to be healed stronger? Are you willing to sacrifice that which is so dear to you for the sake of Jesus? And that and that means for the sake of others. Since the relationship between me and Jesus is played out in the relationship between me and you, right? And as he is in the world, so are we. And, you know, when Kim and I were dating, certain issues were discussed, and she had hers and I had mine, and they seemed so important at the time that neither of us would budge, and a stalemate occurred, and we broke up over this. Issues broke relationships since neither of us wanted to say, you're more important than my pet issue. I'm hard-pressed to say what those issues are today and have them, and they haven't really come up in 28 years of marriage anyway, Right? What was so important then is really a non-issue now. I remember the day we got back together and we took a walk and we stopped and we talked in a park about this whole thing. And and I was scared. What if I sacrifice and she doesn't? What if I give up my little treasure and she doesn't reciprocate by giving up hers? What if I put my heart out there and she just smashes it? Will it hurt? Well, maybe. There's no promises in love and war. The only risk. But it's risk worth taking. 
when we could finally say, you know, you're more important than my deep-rooted desire of self-preservation, then we could move forward in relationship. Peter was in a love relationship with Jesus. And during that the, the trial, uh, Peter had to choose to self-protect. Protect. He had chosen to self-protect. And, I, you know, I don't know that guy. You know, I don't know that guy. I, I could get hurt if I admit that, right? That's what he was thinking. So his lofty words of de- devotion earlier dissipate in the face of fear or pain. You know, and Jesus does know all things. And he knew that below all that fear, below that self-preservation, below the scared little boy, Peter did really actually love Jesus. He knew that, right? But Peter had to come to the terms with just how much he, he that love would cost him to be willing to pay the price of self-sacrifice. Jesus was asking him to be willing to die to himself for this kingdom ministry, to be a fisher of men. And will his future actions match his words of devotion? You know, there are three invitations that stand out in John's gospel. Come and see, come and drink. Come and eat. Come and see. Come and drink. Come and eat. You know, come, eat, have relationship with me. It's the final message of John's gospel in a sense. Sacrificing self in order to know the deep life with Jesus. Peter, do you love me as you claimed more than all these other disciples? Love me. Right? Because, not because Jesus was trying to pit favors at the favorites against each other, but because Peter was prideful enough earlier to compare his love with the other men. He had already said, I will lay down my life for your sake. And then he said, though they fall away because of you, all of them, I will never fall away, he said. So Peter's pride was evident, but pride must be killed for the sake of relationship because pride is poison to relationships, Right? You know, Kim and I watch Alone, a show where they stick people out in the middle of a rugged wilderness uh, with only a choice of 10 different items to bring. And they're out there by themselves and they've got to survive. They've got to get their own food and everything else. Whoever lasts the longest gets a boatload of cash. And in one episode, it was really funny. They showed this contestant on his porch with his family before he left to go out and be dropped off in the wilderness. And one of his friends asked him, what, what if you encounter a bear? You know, and, and with all the bravado, uh, you know, this guy was ex-military. He was middle-aged, right? But with all the bravado of a 16-year-old boy, he says, well, they better call help for the bear because I'm going to take him out. Like, he's like braggadocious, you know, like just going at it. And I'll tell you what, they dropped that guy off by helicopter or boat. I forget what it was. They dropped him off and his eyes are big as dinner plates and he took 10 steps and he saw bear scat on the on the beach and next thing you know within three hours he didn't even spend one night there he tapped out he was so scared of that bear it was just the funniest thing i've ever seen in my life but pride comes before a fall and peter was going through this painful surgery of having his pride confronted finding out that he was just as weak and screwed up as all the other guys out there right that his love was no greater thing than anybody else's. 
You know, tradition has it that Peter was no longer so impetuous or impulsive after this, that he matured, that he counted the cost, that he put down his self-preservation, and that he actually followed. You know, after after, uh, Pentecost, uh, not Peter-cost, after Pentecost, he was bold when persecuted, right? He was arrested twice. He was warned to refrain from preaching, preaching about Jesus. You know, Herod imprisoned Peter with the intent to execute him, but he was freed and delivered by an angel. You know, church tradition tells us that that Jesus' prediction actually was correct, that Peter's arms were stretched out, that he was dressed in the shroud of death, and he was led to the cross to be crucified. But he was crucified upside down because he didn't feel deserving to die upright like Jesus. And so to the very end, he's a little over the top. I love the guy, but at least now... Uh, it was all in line with self-sacrifice. At least Peter's actions were finally really matching his words, his lofty words of devotion and love, right? Will you let Jesus wound you like that? Would you give up your self-preservation to, to follow him? Will you eat with him? Will, you, will we be as, as he is in the world, carrying out the ministry of the kingdom of God of others, being fishers of men? bringing more and more people into the kingdom of God, loving them closer to Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't call us to safety, but to to a battle, uh, you know, won through sacrifice, self-sacrifice. Will our words of devotion be matched with acts of sacrifice when it all hits the fan? (laughs) Or will we self-preserve and will we walk away and say, "I I don't know that guy, right? Well, if you want to sacrifice for others, I think, you know, we have a lot in the way of to do of evangelization of people, of being fishers of men, of, of sharing Christ with people, of praying for them, praying them into the kingdom, and then actually telling them the story, confronting them with their need of repentance and, and the, the answer for Christ and of Christ in their lives. And we have a lot of work to do in discipleship of each other, marching each other closer and closer, iron sharpening iron, taking each other closer and deeper into the life of Christ together. You know, loving actions and words towards someone make a big deal loving them into the kingdom of God uh, doing things for people caring for people praying for them praying over them saying can I pray over you right now and then doing it right you know maybe you're in conflict with somebody and you need to lay down those weapons right now you need to give up your pride and and make a little bit of sacrifice to save that relationship Um, does your time and your your money belong to Jesus. Is everything that you are and do and own his? Because that's what he was asking Peter. And that's what he's asking us. I hope you guys have a great day. I'm going to pray for us as we close. And uh, I've really enjoyed the book of John and walking through it together with you. Father, we thank you for uh, this story and the intimacy of this moment. We thank you for John and his love for you. And we thank you for uh, his communicating this gospel to us. And we thank you for Peter and his impetuous impetuous nature and his um, bullishness sometimes. We love you so much. And we want to learn from these people. And we want to learn from uh, how they interact with you so that we can interact with you better. Uh, We want to be convicted of our calling not to just be blessed but actually to be a blessing to others, to bring this kingdom of God to the world, to be fishers of men. We thank you for that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I hope you guys have a great...
great weekend, the rest of your weekend, and a great week ahead of you. And we'll keep you updated on changes at church. Amen. See you.